Welcome to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch. This is a podcast of conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. For those familiar with the format of the Talking Health Tech podcast, you'll know normally it's a one-on-one conversation between me and someone else in the health tech scene. Recently, we've upped our game a bit, and thanks to the support of Hub Australia, we hosted our first ever Talking Health Tech live panel event. This was an opportunity for an audience of around 50 to 60 people to hear firsthand from a panel of four health tech leaders moderated by me talking about all the important topics in the world of digital health. This panel discussion was hugely insightful and highlighted the massive dividends that pay off when companies embrace collaboration to solve big problems. A tool that's particularly helpful for Aussie health tech firms who are looking to solve some of the country's biggest challenges using modern and emerging technologies. So enjoy the following panel discussion featuring Manuri Gunawadina, founder and CEO of HealthMatch, Melissa Webster, founder and CEO of SleepFit, Sylvia Pfeiffer, founder and CEO of CoView, and Charles Lynham, commercial director, Hospital. Here we go. The, the purpose of this session is to really get into health tech um, and what, what, what health tech is, some of the challenges that we face. Uh, what, what do we all have in common up here? We all work at the hub, uh, Hub High Park. You know, it's, it's through osmosis or the location or whatever it is, there's been just more and more health tech organizations come here to work and collaboration is kind of a consistent theme across that, uh, across all, I guess, co-working spaces, hubs across Australia and, and specifically within health tech. So we'll, we'll, we'll dig into some of that. I, I thought as well, before we, because there's no video, so um, feel free to take photos and like hashtag talking health tech um, share it amongst your billions of followers if you have a billion if you don't have a billion a million is okay uh, as well uh, it, I will give you a couple of seconds to check your phone and go into the podcast section of your phone and then go subscribe to Talking Health Tech because then I want to see a massive surge of downloads for this month as well um, and then you also you get to check out the episode which will come out in about a month's time so um, uh, do check that so uh, I thought I'd let the, the guys introduce themselves firstly but before we kind of get into that I wasn't sure whether this would become like a a highly technical um, discussion, which is not normally on the podcast. Normally, it's quite an accessible thing about health tech. But uh, I, I'm, it'd be good to get a kind of... I don't want to get a show of hands because that's really pointless on a podcast. So what I want you to do, if you're involved in health tech and you uh, and that's your day-to-day, um, I want you to clap and go hooray and shout and go, yes, please. Ready? Three, two, one. All right. Okay. And if... If you only know a little bit about it, perhaps you're in another industry and you want to learn more about it, now it's your turn to clap and go hooray and shout and go. Ready? Go. Okay. Now, everyone, clap and make a lot of noise because there's lots of people in different rooms and they'll go like, why is there a big thing going out here? Ready? Three, two, one, go. All right, all right. Now, when I say health, you say... No, don't worry. Um, All right, so we'll go around the room. Um, uh, Manuri, you start, please. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Manuri. I'm the CEO and founder of HealthMatch. Uh, HealthMatch is a platform that helps patients connect with clinical trials. And the whole idea behind that is if you're a patient, unless you know the right clinician or you're visiting the right hospital site, it's incredibly difficult to find a clinical trial. Oftentimes, you have to navigate extremely complex eligibility criteria on your own across Know, hundreds of trials so we built a platform for patients so that they can easily access studies and then on the other side helping industry um, the sponsors of these trials access patients and recruit patients to their trials which happens to be a really big problem because 80% of trials don't meet their recruitment thank you we'll get into some of that Charles 
Uh, Charles Larnham. I'm the Commercial Director of HospPortal, which is uh, primarily a rostering software for doctors in hospitals. We've got about 35 hospitals across Australia. Recently signed our first contract in New Zealand. We've also got a product which is for patient surveys to do pre and post operative surveys suitable for collection of health data uh, in Australia. Um, I'm a health tech investor. I've also been involved on the board of MIDI Records, which is a startup uh, cl clinical practice management software for GPs, and prior to that was involved in Macquarie Bank's healthcare banking practice. Thank you. Sylvia? Hi, I'm Sylvia Pfeiffer. I'm the CEO of Curveview, and Curveview is a telehealth platform, and uh, we do everything um, in in the virtual world: um, video consultations, direct to patient uh, telehealth. We have an API, so we do like to integrate with other platforms, uh, and anything you can imagine around video consultations, in particular clinical tools that help the clinicians deliver uh, better than being there healthcare. Nice one. And Melissa? Hi, Peter. Uh, my name is Melissa Webster and I'm the uh, founder and the CEO of SleepFit. So what are we doing? We are changing lives, saving lives through the power of sleep and managing fatigue. So a quick question to the audience. Maybe it's a clap thing again, yeah, Peter. But I love those ones. How many of you got seven to nine hours sleep last night? Now, the true question, how many of you didn't get seven to nine hours sleep Ooh. last night? <laughs> so that's pretty common. About 40% of us in Australia nowadays just get insufficient sleep. That might be because of choice, because let's face it, there's so many more exciting things out there to do now with Netflix and always on demand work, of course. But there's also a lot of people that don't get enough sleep because of underlying sleep disorders. So what do we do? We help organizations and big insurers screen people at scale for issues with their sleep either behavioral or underlying sleep disorders and we get them the help that they need so we personalize our solution to them and we get them on the track to reducing barriers to treatment so they can actually be refreshed rejuvenated and have the energy you need for today's life amazing there's a lot of interesting kind of concepts we can we can dig into and just really quickly in terms of the number of people you have here at the hub how many currently have you got or maybe like that you might be hiring in the next couple of weeks or months oh, we're hiring customer <laughs> success manager so how, how many how many people have you got you're, you're down on level one i think we're we're about seven uh -huh. seven at the yep. moment um we just yeah so if anyone knows a fantastic customer success manager who's got lots of energy and also keen to learn about sales and not Please. my customer no pinching. No yeah, pinching. Yeah. <laughs> I know that's the only problem, right? <laughs> Sylvia, how many? Have we've got four here and six in Brisbane. Cool, cool. Now we've got eight when we're all in the office. Yeah, okay, yeah, 19. Yeah, yeah, we're about seven. We've got four more joining and we're looking for growth marketing hires and a whole bunch of other people. So. Cool, and so we've got eight Meta Optima on level two. So there's about 30, 35 something. My maths is terrible, but it's bad because I'm an accountant as well, but that's okay. Um, so, so that's... That's awesome. Lots of different people walking around the hub here are focused on, on solving um, challenging health problems with technology. So if I was to look at, you know, the hub, uh, focus on collaboration and, you know, a different 
um, companies working together to solve challenging problems. Uh, one of the first questions I wanted to jump into for the panel is give us an example of how uh, collaboration has really helped you solve some tricky problems within your organization. So it could be collaboration with other organizations within the health space, or it could be organizations completely outside of that. Um, Sylvia, because you were the very first episode of uh, Talking Health Tech, I thought I'd start with you and you can uh, kick off with the first question as well. So. Sure, no worries, because um, MediRecords already got mentioned. I think I'll just uh, mention that we've got an integration with MediRecords. Uh, MediRecords is a practice management software. We are doing uh, appointment bookings. Uh, and uh, for these appointment bookings, we're creating virtual rooms that these appointments can be held in. So, of course, it's natural to put these into the appointment bookings in in a practice management software. We've done many other integrations, you know, clinical, NUCAL, um, uh, and uh, almost all systems have some kind of, you know, appointments or uh, direct-to-patient meetings in them. So any, if you need any of that, that's where, what we built uh, our API product for. Um, what about yourself, Manuri, in the, the health match space? You guys are relatively, um, well, newer around. Like, how long, how long has the organization been around for again? Uh, so, about two years, but we launched uh, at the end of January. Yeah, last okay, year. Yeah. yeah. So, in terms of launch, but in, like, has there already been some collaborations that you guys have kind of worked on and had some success with? Yeah, absolutely. In the hub, there's been a few. Um, not so much in health tech, but um, we've collaborated with. Um, Snowmelt, which is a consultancy around designing some of the frameworks for us around hiring. Uh, we're looking at working with the guys at Think and Grow around recruitment. So there's a bunch of companies, I guess, that um, we've looked to collaborate with um, as we scale. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What about at Hospital, Charles? Is there? I think um, in, in particular for health tech, where a lot of the businesses are quite niche, you need to collaborate to augment your service offering. And we're finding, whether it be linking with practice management software for our patient survey tool or linking in with payroll and HR systems for our rostering solution. And personally, I get in on Monday and I get the email about who's new at Hub and I flick through and occasionally will look up a few of their profiles and about one time in 10, I'll... You know, get in touch with them and say, look, you know, let's have a chat. Is it, you're doing something interesting or is the service you're providing, even if it's completely unrelated to health tech? And, and that has proven to be particularly interesting, particularly as you move out of a corporate environment. And I'm used to working in a big corporate where you might have had 15,000 staff globally and suddenly you're in a small business where you need to create different styles of networks and try and find different ways of finding somebody who knows somebody who can do something for you. And that can be a big particular challenge in a small business. Hey, Melissa, so I'll go to you for the next question. In terms of the opportunities in health tech, for those that might not know or are just focused on a particular niche, some health technology organisations will solve problems for patients specifically, like straight to a consumer. Other organisations will be purely focused on solving problems for employers and some organisations are mainly focused on solving for clinicians. So to really kind of dig into it for SleepFit, what are you guys focused on and what are some important things that come to mind in terms of collaborating with what? Oh, sorry, uh, solving problems for those particular... Yeah, um, so our core business, we definitely solve problems for organisations and insurers. So for organisations, what happens when people are tired and fatigued? It's about absenteeism, presenteeism, you know, not appearing not to be absent at work because you're so knackered. Um, it, it's really serious things like accidents and injuries. 
and unfortunately even fatalities in the workplace. So, so we're helping um, reduce that risk. We're helping identify the risk and reduce the risk for those organisations and we're helping them essentially become more productive. And then for insurers, it's about these long tail downstream risks that happen because of a lack of sleep. So I don't know if you all know this, but when you don't get consistent good quality sleep, you're talking about things like heart disease, diabetes, obesity, stroke, mental health issues like depression, anxiety, suicide, unfortunately, as well as what the scientists are finding now is Alzheimer's, because when we sleep, our brain is cleansed. And if it doesn't get that chance, then um, it actually, the plaque builds up and it gets harder to sleep. So, so the insurers are just kind of, you could say, waking up to this right now. And what they're doing is that they're looking for those preventative measures to actually help improve their book of insured people and also get them the help that they need if they need help immediately. And Charles, over at Hospital, you're, I believe you're solving problems for providers? Or uh, it depends, really. It, this, if we're advertising to a hospital, we're solving issues for the hospital. But the genesis of the business was my business partner who's run this business for about 12, 15 years, and he's a doctor, and he was trying to solve issues for himself, which was how to manage his own roster in Australia, a lot of high proportion of EMOs who are consultants who work at, or contractors who work at different hospitals, and managing their portfolio of all their on-calls and all their duties can be quite challenging. So he built it for himself. It's been a great marketing tool for us because each doctor who uses it works at another hospital and they thump the table at their other hospital saying we want this product in our business and then we need to convince the people that the people at the hospital that actually this is good for their hospital too and that's been a very successful way of marketing for us. Is there some similarities in that um, Manuri with your side of business or is it quite different when you're talking about clinical trials? Yeah it's interesting because um, there are some similarities in the sense that we're going direct to patient and um, really solving that issue around accessibility um, of healthcare and knowing what treatments are out there for the patient, but also we're uh, working with pharma companies and biotech, so that the, the way that we position um, ourselves with the pharma companies and biotechs is that we're solving a real problem for them, we're helping them develop better insights around where to run clinical trials, um, how more efficiently they should be setting up their trial protocols, uh, and then essentially getting more patients through to these studies, which hopefully ends up resulting in treatments getting to market sooner. I feel like if we're so clear on who we're solving problems for and what problem we're solving, that if, if it was all that easy, then we'd all be health tech organisations and we'd all be rolling in it. So, um, like, we're... We're not, and we're not not struggling. But it's a there's there's a lot of challenges. I guess like any industry, um, when it comes to health tech um, specifically, I've found looking at other organisations, comparing it to say the fintech or the ag tech or anything tech, there's usually some more complexities that come up when it when when you speak around the healthcare side of things. Sylvia, from your experience in the, the industry, what are some of the main challenges that are blocking this kind of progression in the health tech space? Yeah, I think healthcare is um, a particular industry. Uh, with um, a, a, a property that no other industry has. The, uh, the key property being that the person who's paying for your healthcare is not the person who's receiving the healthcare. So yeah. the person who's getting the product is not the person paying for it. And I think that's a, that's a real key problem in the industry. And it's obvious that we, you know, we need that because we're looking after everyone. And the idea is to give everyone the same kind of access to care. 
Um, and, and just trying to do that means that, you know, the government has, has a say in it. Uh, then we've got the private insurers, we've got uh, the patients, we've got the clinicians, we've got the healthcare businesses, we've got the IT people in the healthcare businesses, um, you name it, you know, the amount of people that you need to get involved to make a decision about uh, buying anything in healthcare is just explosive uh, compared to any other industry. I see a lot of nodding, Melissa. I'm going to guess that you probably feel a lot of that at working directly with organisations as well. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, what's really interesting, I like I concur with everything that you've said. And um, interestingly, there are other markets, I think, that are doing it really well, like in Germany, for example. Well, one, one of the challenges, let me talk about the challenge first of all, is that what we're doing is we're essentially providing a step in the step-to-care model that is highly scalable, can go out to regional markets, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, the regulations haven't caught up or, you know, something where it's not supported for the end user. And in Germany right now, they're actually allowing digital health companies almost like a year's grace to, in a sense, validate their product where they're paying a benefit on the service and giving them a year to actually show that clinically it works. So how amazing is that? Um, Obviously, there's processes to go through that not anybody can turn up and do that. But um, then you've got the people that you can actually put through the validation process and and show that your product actually works. Totally, totally. That that clinical trial and validation and and regulation (laughs) piece is usually a a big kind of it's either a legitimate sticking point or at least a good excuse for, for, for progression not to, to happen. I mean, th- this is, I, I feel like this is definitely around your kind of area of problem that you're solving in the clinical trial space. And, and I have a very basic theory that if we can do that process better or faster, then hopefully then innovation can also happen faster. Is it as simple as like A to B in relation to that for you guys? Is that the, in the end, if you do your job really well, then the whole industry benefits? Or? Well, that's the hope. But I mean, there are so many um, bottlenecks within healthcare. And I think there are so many pieces that need to be solved. Um, for us, you know, the first piece we're trying to solve is that recruitment piece and that access. But then there's also issues around how is the data collected, like um, optimizing within the clinical trial funnel to make it less siloed and less cottage and more um, up to date with the 21st century, I guess. And so hopefully as we move up and down that pipeline in clinical trials, it means that patients can get access sooner and that these trials will stop falling over and we can get more of these innovations out to market. Anything, Charles, that comes to mind from your side? No, I think there's a broad issue here and I agree there's this disconnect between the person who gets the benefit and the person who pays. But I think it's more than just the financial model. I think it's structural regarding healthcare in that doctors typically think clinically. They don't necessarily have management skills. A lot of the very smart doctors I've dealt with have no real commercial acumen at all, which is why they used to come to talk to our financial plan, planning team at Macquarie and outsource a lot of activity. But they, um, it makes it very difficult then to, to make, uh, make a, a justify a case when the doctors are saying, I really need this, or actually they really don't know the benefit because they're really trained on a clinical mindset and they can understand how it might improve a patient's health without really understanding what happens if they can do that more efficiently or if they can turn over more patients. I think there's other structural issues which probably come under the umbrella of you know how do you share data better which is something that Medirecords was trying to do you know GPs the, the they get paid so little and they, their idea of doing high transaction volume um, really doesn't give them time to stop stop and think about how do they make that process better specialists fundamentally have an incentive just to do their own thing and they don't really have an incentive to share leads and share referrals 
Um, so that I think there's a whole structural bunch of structural issues that apply in healthcare, not uniquely, but a lot of them come together in healthcare that make long sales lead time, very difficult sales processes. Mm. Maybe, Sorry, maybe I just want to add to that as well, that we've got this separation between federal health and state yeah. health, which mm. is also not helping because if you're trying to do something that would push more people or take more people out of the emergency rooms, out of the state health department and put more into the GPs or into uh, primary care, uh, overall for the uh, for the whole industry that would actually reduce the cost in healthcare and would probably make our hospitals more efficient. But um, Medicare wouldn't want to see that because it means that they have to pay more for it because it suddenly goes into their coffers and not in the state coffers. So, so when you think you've got a business model or a, a great story uh, that you can tell someone, suddenly you get you get whacked from another end where where actually somebody you're stepping over somebody's uh, toes that that you didn't really expect to be stepping on. Hey, to bring it out of like all doom and gloom and like depressive stories, um, like and, and keeping with yourself, Sylvia, you've, you've had so, you know some wins recently, and, and the team at Coview. Um, tell us a bit about. So, so just to step back, one, I, I always, what I love about the health tech space is about in, innovative organisations that have you know essentially starting up, coming up, building, solving a problem, and can usually do that much faster and, and respond quickly. Sure, I, like uh, face some challenges, but but solve for them. Um, and very big organisations like enterprises or um, government bodies probably are too big to solve those themselves. So that's why we're seeing a lot more larger organisations partner with um, startups to be able to solve some tricky problems. There's this, this, this nice kind of acceptance within the industry that startups aren't, you know, just uh, some guys in a garage doing something quite, you know, potentially dodgy. They're building really quality, um, you know, solutions. Um, Sylvia, you're... Your relationship with HealthDirect is probably a good example of, of that. I thought that's what you might go for, yes. <laughs> so HealthDirect is a really interesting organization and it's actually in the sweet spot between what I just described as being a problem between uh, federal health and state health. It's a organization that's been put in place by um, state and federal health departments um, to innovate in healthcare. And I think uh, it's a really great idea that the government's done that and put in place an a, like an arm's length op organization that can innovate for the government, for uh, public health. So um, we are in the fortunate position that uh, we've been chosen as their uh, telehealth, their, their platform provider for the Health Direct video call. Um, and uh, so we're actually through them delivering into state um, and federal health uh, projects, which is really exciting. So, yes, um, I mean, it's totally not all doom and gloom. <laughs> Thank you. Fantastic. Nice one. Um, so, Manuri, with, with HealthMatch um, being in market for um, around the, you said, organisations been around for two years and um, been in market since January last year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, have you had any, like, uh, good wins already that um, you've seen maybe, uh, you know, some success stories or seen um, some, whether it's just for the organisation's growth or even for ideally better patient outcomes from, like, so your product being used and then resulting in better healthcare across the world? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it comes to that piece around larger organisations um, realising that they can partner with, with startups. So um, after launch, um, 
from sort of a partnership perspective and a commercial perspective, we're able to close a deal with Roche Pharmaceuticals, um, one of the big pharma companies, in three and a half months, which was like unheard of in terms of sales cycles in pharma. But um, so that was a a really positive win for us. And and then we've been able to work with CROs and biotechs. But I think also on the patient side, there was this huge conception that, um, you know, our user base might be more inclined to be patients in oncology or where there's there's really like no other um well they're under immense pressure and they're really looking for that piece of hope but what we saw is uh, a whole bunch of patients signing up and looking for trials in uh chronic areas things like mental health psoriasis condition areas that we didn't actually think would be uh, huge in terms of user signups but there's a population of patients out there that live with some sort of condition and they're wanting to know what other treatments are available and sometimes your primary care physician or um, that consult you go to it just doesn't have the time to cover all these topics so um, we've seen some really great user growth and so that's been a positive win for us um, in the last year that's really good melissa with um sleep fit what what are some recent wins that you've had yeah we've um few good ones lately uh, what we did this one goes back a little way but uh, we found from our data that 20% of people were suffering from insufficient sleep in organizations uh, because of their kids and I was one of those people and I was very passionate about that area of originally this going back nine years and so I was lucky enough to find a company called Tresillion do any people out there know Tresillion yes lots of nodding heads yeah. so they're like these angels that help you sort of navigate how to get how to help children sleep. And so I approached the CEO, and um, the problem we solved was that the private health funds pay for hospital admissions for people for five days for Tresillion to help them with their children. That costs over two thousand dollars. And obviously, these poor parents—they're they're exhausted. Sometimes they're leaving jobs. They're you know trying to cope. And so we were solving a problem for the parent and HCF came on board because one, they were trying to attract families and they supported the initial development um, of, of essentially digitizing that five day, four night stay. And so now that's actually available to the public. That's our first B2C, but it's been supported by Tresillion with their 100 years of knowledge and HCF with some seed funding to at least get that development piece off the ground and, and happening. So, and then other wins, Lend-Lease are taking us global as of this year. We're just signed with Commonwealth Bank. We're just about to launch another project with Linfox in WA. Um, we've just signed a deal with t- Teachers Healthcare, big insurer, or not a big insurer, but a very niche insurer, doing some great things on their chronic side, which is really, really exciting um, and having lots of amazing, interesting conversations. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> no, that's really good. Charles, let's keep the show until going. Positive vibes. What's, um, what's been oh, – you've, you've got more people there every now and then when I come up to level three, so something must be happening. Oh, we've we've um, it's a it's a relatively difficult sales trajectory, long lead times, but we've managed to pull our first New Zealand contract, as I mentioned in the introduction, yeah. which is great. It's a proof that the model actually works outside Australia. Uh, we've got some interesting leads going, or had some interesting leads started in Malaysia and South Africa, where we think that's um, that's interesting to, to continue. We've had our first real uh, sale of our, our patient survey tool, which is has been 
there and being explored by in let's call it a beta type format for some months and uh, that's now starting to get some traction so we're, we're looking forward to that um, and we're starting to get our first sales outside our core hospital user group so we've got a radiology group we've got a pri two private practices that are wanting f to manage rostering in their own areas um, yeah it's all it's all been diverse and and, and moving along yeah good signs I'm gonna stay with you for a second Charles just go on to the next point so a lot of the um, Many, many questions I receive just through um, various things that I do, including the podcast. Um, uh, a lot of the times it's queries or questions or, or people wanting to learn more about this space um, who are currently involved in like the, the finance side or investing or uh, wanting to get involved in health tech because health tech is so hot right now. Um, so there's what from what we all probably know on stage is that to go into like an investment into a health tech organization with the same expectations as any other kind of software organization like a silicon valley one it's probably um a little bit short-sighted what are some things do you think then that an investor who would be getting into the health tech space would be would need to think about or be mindful of in going into that kind of investment i think manage your expectations i think um there are some things that pop but i don't think things pop the same way a we work pops or a you know, it's not going to get the same network benefit effects like a, a Facebook or a Amazon. And I think there are a lot of niches out there where a lot of people are doing some really interesting stuff. Mm. Finding those is really tough. Um, and finding the ones that are going to be successful and then go through the normal startup cycle of cash flow issues and management changes. Um, so I think manage your expectations. Find somebody who really knows what they're talking about. I think there's a lot of garbage spoken out there about health Yes. tech and health startups and it's easy to bamboozle people because there are six billion people in the world who get sick and there's a lot of money spent in the US on healthcare and all that sort of stuff and all those things that apply in any other sector get doubly so in here because it, healthcare sort of has a bit of a mystique about it too that unless you're a doctor and it's quite true there are elements that if you're unless you're a doctor you really don't necessarily understand how some of the issues that you think you can solve in a fintech or an ag tech or a a milk bar or a coffee shop, they don't really apply in the in the medical way in the same way. And mm. I think it helps to um, tread softly in the first stages. Totally. Sylvia, did you have anything else to add on that? Yeah, come in with patience and be in it for the long run. This would be my recommendation. Like your company, what, 12 years you said? Um, I think uh, it takes a fair number of years to establish your credentials, um, to, as to, to get your technology into a good enough space um, and uh, to, to build the trust in the, if, by the industry, or not to speak of any kind of clinical trials and uh, regulatory aspects. All of that takes time. So you've got to plan for all of these things. Yeah. Do you have any opposing thoughts, Melissa, on that one? I look, I, I don't in the sense that I agree that, um, you know, the, you've got to look for investors that actually understand the health tech area and have realistic expectations around um, the time frame yeah. around health tech because everything that everybody else has said is absolutely spot on. But when it does all click, mm. it can happen quite quickly. If that makes sense, but it is so much about building your brand and your credentials, and having that social proof, be it through your clients, through, through you know what you actually put out to the public, et cetera, et cetera. That is that is absolutely critical and crucial. Totally, Manuri. If you were speaking to a potential investor for any health tech organisation, would there be um, like it sounds like we're all saying that you know it's it's know the space, speak to someone who knows what they're talking about. How does, how does investor kind of get to know this kind of stuff? Like where do you go to find this information? 
Yeah, I think it's looking for a track record. Like, have they invested in any other healthcare companies or health tech companies? And if not, maybe biotech companies, um, particularly because it is such a new sort of space if you talk about digital health itself and the type of investors that are in that space so I agree with the panel um, if you can find people that have had experience um, investing in health tech companies it helps because there's lots of nuances and different um, time frames that health tech works on completely I don't know how I'll do this logistically. I haven't even thought about it, but I wanted to, because the, this is, you know, supposed to be a bit of an engaging session, let's give it a crack. Uh, you know, we're all patients, which is, you know, the ironic thing. Sometimes when you're involved in speaking about healthcare, you speak about patients as though they're the target and they're kind of, you know, a consumer and all this stuff. Like everyone's, everyone's a patient and everyone receives healthcare in some way, shape or form. So we all, we all, um, I think it's fair to say that when we're dealing with our GP or dealing with a specialist or anyone, we kind of encounter these nuances or differences when it comes to the technology that we use as an end consumer when we're speaking to, say, our GP um, compared to any other kind of industry. Has anyone got like a burning front of mind kind of experience that they've had with a health professional? I'm not asking for health information about yourself, but just about the the experience they had and how they would have expected healthcare, uh, sorry, technology to have provided a better experience. Hey, come over. I, I don't know how to do this, but like, if you can mention yeah. here. And then we're, we're groundbreaking now. Thank you. Um, My partner recently needed sinus surgery um, and we did, um, unfortunately, due to some complications with our private health insurance, need to go through the public healthcare system. Um, So he, we went and showed up on surgery day. He didn't eat anything from 12 o'clock that night, didn't drink anything from six o'clock. He proceeded to wait until six o'clock in the evening um, in order to go into surgery. We uh, had multiple calls back and forth between our um, private surgeon, the hospital, the nursing team. Uh, He needed to have a MRI scan. There was no booking for the MRI scan. Um, So me, I I personally work for a a larger medical device company. Um, So I think going through this experience, really sitting there and going, wow, there is so many opportunities in this space for us to truly impact a customer or patient journey. Um, especially within the public healthcare system. Um, yeah, and there's obviously some amazing things which are coming out now, so that's my experience. No, thank you. Sorry, what was your name? What was Hayley. your name? Hayley, thank you. Clap for Hayley, thank you. So, so with, with that, you know, back to the panel then, like with that specific example, lots of different stakeholders involved. Um, we, we've got some really, like it's not the only industry where they've got lots of different parties involved. Like building a house, there's a lot of like contractors and like doing anything where it involves lots of kind of third parties. There are like gajillions of solutions for technology that just makes it not perfect, but a relatively seamless process. But that sounded like a nightmare. And I think that there's a lot of other people who've got it like, at different levels of severity, worse or, 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 or minor, um, have kind of similar examples, and I can think of a couple myself. Why do these problems like exist within the healthcare space from your own experience when it comes to technology? Charles? But, I mean, fundamentally, healthcare is not like any other network. In you know, Uber, anyone can drive a car or sort of Facebook, you've got anyone can log in and access anyone else's information. What you need to do to get a particular health experience well managed is so many different people you've got involved, your specialist, your um, your GP, your public system, your private system, your insurer, mm. and it's very little incentive or there's very little obvious incentive people have found to date to make those things work, seam- work seamlessly. 
public hospitals are also like any other big organisation. We've all worked, or anyone who's worked for them know that they are, they have inefficiencies and problems, and that's exacerbated, I think, by the, the comments I made earlier about doctors and medical in, uh, medical facilities like hospitals aren't necessarily managed entirely for efficiency. We've seen some interesting comparisons about sort of the rostering we do in Australia versus places like the UK, and the sort of reports they want out of their rostering is so much more detailed because they're actually looking at cancellation rates and extra work that they've done which wasn't on the schedule and, and things that where they were short-staffed and that sort of stuff. We've never been asked for any of that information in Australia, mm. and I think that shows a different mindset about the way they're funded and the way they have an incentive to manage that well in, in the UK. And I, I'm, I'm guessing just from the way the questions they ask out of the UK compared to the way they do it in Australia. But I don't think it's easy to solve. Yeah, yeah totally. Do you have anything else, Manuri, in addition to that? I think as well it's, um, you know, the whole healthcare system has very much centred around the clinician for a really long time and it's been very didactic in the way that it's been approached. So um, now, like, opening it up more to the patient to be empowered and be able to advocate for themselves is really the big push that's driving, I guess, clinicians and the healthcare industry itself to to catch up. And I think that's that's probably a way that it will go is that a lot of uh, patients will, like, uh, health literacy is improving and demand for their own information is kind of increasing. Like, if you've, if you've got an app on your on your phone that you've, you're tracking your own healthcare information, um, make some noise, make, a, make an animal sound. Three, two, one. Yes! I made people make animal noises. Um, but it's true in that, uh, you know, that that wouldn't happen, you know, a, a couple of years ago or, or it was at least kind of sceptical to say that, you know, patients will kind of um, really influence the process. It's been very much for so long, even just in the simple GP setting, um, for quite a while GPs were used to opening up the doors and having patients lining up for an appointment and they'll see them when they're there and I'll, I'll run 45 minutes late because you know what, if they leave there'll be another patient behind. I think with all those other challenges that we're, we're, we're facing kind of things will um, need to change. Doctors are seeing that, that, um, that need and technology is really helping in that space and so at least from my own personal experience it's nice to be able to be involved in that change it's just a um can sometimes be a tough slog but it, as we've seen there's quite a few examples of some some good wins um before we throw out to the guys are there any kind of additional points on that yeah i wanted to say um this is actually a development we're seeing across other industries as well the experts who were, who had previously just been put on a pedestal and been believed without without question yeah. that's just not happening anymore and it's uh, thanks to dr google um, uh, and, uh, you know, people are actually much more clever these days and actually look up things about their own health and they have a way to look up, you know, before that you couldn't really. You had to believe everything your GP told you. Yeah. Then you believed everything your specialist told you. Now you can go back and Google stuff. And yes, you might ask really stupid questions because you don't really understand what is written there. Um, like I recently did. I, I said, I've got pain in my kidneys and she said no your kidneys are up yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know stuff like that that does happen <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, um, it's not like it used to be before we don't we don't have these superstars in the doctors anymore uh, all software used to be written for healthcare businesses really and the clinicians were actually suffering as much or still are suffering as much as the patients because the clinicians are increasingly more asked to put more data in so we have to help the clinicians we have to help the patients and everything has to just become more efficient because otherwise I am really afraid for our healthcare system it's not going to scale with the onset of uh, you know uh, increasing 
uh, aging, yeah, the boomer generation getting older, baby boomers and, um, you know, uh, it's just too many uh, chronic diseases. We have to become more efficient. There's just no way around it. Totally. Something I wanted to speak about as well that um, before we go out for any questions that that people might have, um, you know, you were speaking about Dr. Google and it did remind me that, you know, we've seen only recently uh the 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 really big players the amazons the googles and all of that are are really starting to have a bit more of a like a decent investment within the healthcare space is that really bad news for us startups in that kind of world or like what does that mean Um, are they just going to come in and wipe out everybody and become you know the be all and end all to the healthcare thing maybe they'll solve all the problems what what are our kind of thoughts on that as a look it's it's a little bit scary i mean it's a little bit scary for us because we know you know in the background that google's got probably one of the best sleep scientists now on their payroll um they've just bought fitbit you know they're looking at obviously getting into this market and the data's the driver with a lot of those um acquisitions having said that you know is fitbit going to walk in and help an insurer solve our specific problem probably not tomorrow maybe you know way into the future but i still think that there is opportunity for um, smaller companies to really, really help large organisations solve critical problems for them. I think there's a real opportunity there. I think one of the biggest issues in healthcare is not necessarily the, the lack of innovation or the sort of the issues with the startup community. It's the fact that information that I have about myself and the doctor keeps about me is almost impossible to reasonably share with any other health provider. And it makes it really difficult for managing care across a whole bunch of very niche specialists. And you know, we saw that in Medi Records at the hub of a cloud-based system that allows you to share information, but you see it in a whole bunch of different other ways of how do you standardise the way information can be shared so that the format, the taxonomy, the data, the transmission protocols, uh, I think, I don't know, Peter, whether you are at the, uh, one of the uh, Wild Health conferences recently when Norman Swan was grilling, grilling a whole bunch of panellists about te- all they're talking about, how great technology was. And he said, yes, but you still send all your communication between doctors by fax. And, and no one had an answer for why that still occurs. And this, I think something like an Amazon or, a, or a, uh, those style of services, if they can bring some structure around the data, bring some commonality to that data. And I think we've got issues to solve about privacy concerns. I think we've got issues to solve about how do you access that. But it needs something that makes it easy for me to communicate. I'd be interested, for instance, in some of the things, I'd be interested in doing a question to the audience, I don't know whether, how people want to cheer, but I'd be interested in a cheer from here if people, how many people here know that if you get a referral to a specialist, you can take it to any specialist? You know that? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So maybe about a third, maybe a quarter. Yeah, yeah. So firstly, you need to know that if you're finding a specialist. Second thing is you need to find some way of assessing that specialist, are they any good? If you're finding a plumber for $50, you go and ask three plumbers. Yeah. A specialist, you go to one specialist, you spend six months in a queue to try and find an appointment, <laughs> and only after you've booked in that process, they say, oh, that's going to be $1,500. Mm. And you don't know that. And that's fundamentally an issue about data and accessibility and the transparency of the data. Mm-hmm. And that's a real problem for healthcare as the, as the whole industry grows. Yeah. Totally. Sylvia, good, good or bad, Google and Amazon getting in? It sounds like we're all kind of in agreement, though. Well... Um, it's not as simple as just throwing a lot of money at a problem. You really got to understand the problem to its depths. Um, Google and Amazon are really, really good at crunching large amounts of data. And uh, they're, Amazon's just, I think, uh, launched a API that allows you to transcribe, uh, speech transcribe uh, medical information, Mm -hmm. um, which is really great. You know, that's a really great service. 
but it's a service. It's because they focus on a really tiny, small subpart of the needs in healthcare, and they've made that really good. And that's not gonna by itself, you know, solve all the problems in healthcare. There's so many problems in healthcare that I don't think they will be solving all of them. They will be providing APIs and functionalities that we all can use. Uh, they might be competing on certain things, but uh, I, I still believe there are there is enough space for for lots of startups in that space to achieve something different. Amazing! I think we could talk for another hour about various points on on our industry, but we might leave it there. Um, everyone, give a hand for the panel, please. We do have a couple of minutes for any questions. Um, feel free to. Uh, ask anyone any question you could be a, a plant from an organization from within here to ask a really kind of good setup question so your organization sounds amazing or it could be a really difficult question for these companies to uh to really kind of squirm it's up to you depends how you feel i'm not going to let anyone leave yeah vanille all right all right come, right, come in you got to come up here though otherwise we won't hear you yeah i know you'll love it too yeah okay i just want to know what programming language each of your applications is built on don't start with me. I need my CTO here. But look, it's it's quite a... The good one. A, it's a great one. <laughs> it's angular. Look, there's about six of them. Yeah. Okay. Cool, cool. Sylvia? Frontend is uh, JavaScript, obviously, um, mostly around um, Mercury, JS, and React. Uh, backend, we are using Node. We're using Scala. We're using Haskell, of all things. <laughs> Um, uh, yes, uh, Node mostly. Mostly we're a JavaScript shop. We're actually in transition at the moment. We're currently rebuilding our PHP-based platform, which has been going for about 10 or 12 years in full-stack JavaScript. So a bit like you know, others on this mm. panel, anything further? I think Ben's around here somewhere <laughs> and we can, we can ask the questions. Manuri? Um, so our front end is in React, our back end in Go, and then any of our data work is in Python. So. Nice one. Cool. Thank you. Thanks, Vanille. Right. Any other questions from the uh, crowd? I should comment on that. I suspect that in most health tech, the technology is actually the least interesting part. Yeah. Whereas fintech, it is probably the most interesting part. So it's a mm. different perspective I would bring to how you think about the technology stack. It took us ages to work out the right technology stack for a whole bunch of reasons, but I think it is in the health space, it's, it's less, uh, less exciting than you know, fintech, which I've had a bit of exposure to. Too. Cool, good one. Last question, who gets to get it? All right, all right, come on over, come on over. We can have two people. Yeah, yeah, come on, yep. Guy in the shirt. All right. <laughs> Hi, I'm David. Uh, you mentioned briefly how, uh, how difficult it was to, to book an appointment and just to know if the specialist is the right specialist. Uh, but recently I booked an appointment through, uh, I think it was called Health Engine. And in Health Engine, I could see the reviews for each doctor. Um, doesn't that effectively solve that problem? Good one. Who wants to speak about that one? I'm happy to talk about that. I think, uh, firstly, I'm not quite sure I'd trust a patient's review of a doctor. Yeah. I think what I want to see, if I'm, yeah, depending on the type of specialist, you want to see things like readmission rates, you want to see infection rates, you want to see complaints, you know, ac actual complaints to the medical board, which you can probably look up. Um, so I'm not quite sure when you're dealing with something as specialised as a doctor, somebody's bedside manner might be over. Over, overweighted by a patient compared to their actual clinical safety. Um, I think there are other issues. I think that's helpful. I think having some data about their patient feedback is potentially important, but it should be a relatively, not a small part, but it should be only be a part of a whole bunch of things which helps you decide whether the doctor's the right one. 
So I think this speaks to the complexity of the healthcare space. There is actually a legal requirement um, that uh, doesn't allow uh, healthcare businesses to publish reviews about them that have any kind of clinical implication. So you can only talk about, you know, how beautiful the uh, reception area is, how nice the people were, etc., all that kind of stuff. So you're not allowed to actually give a clinical uh, evaluation of, of that person, and that's that's uh, by regulation. So uh, I don't think that problem is solved at all. And maybe those those uh, reviews will give you some indication of whether you'll be you know treated um, kindly at reception. Um, and and oftentimes that's actually very important to patients. Uh, but I don't know if that actually gives you any indication about the quality of the healthcare that you're receiving. Do you have any follow-up question on that, or is that good? That's it. Awesome. Thank you. Good question. Um, anyone? I saw a couple of hands go up at that last minute. Who's, did you? Did you also have a question? I saw one here. Yeah, yeah. Come on over, and we'll go last question for for the group. Make it good. No, I'm just, yeah. Actually, no. Make sure it's good. <laughs> no pressure, everyone. This is a question for anyone or, or all of you. Um, I work for a medical research institute. We have an in-house CRO, and I also um, am involved with the Health Accelerator. We focus on um, chronic and non-communicable disease. And I see a lot of resistance still from the clinician and researcher side, and we definitely need them, we need their buy-in for, for all of this work. So how would you engage clinicians and researchers to get on board with health tech and help drive it? Good one. I think it's... Everyone looked at you, Mary. <laughs> yeah, everyone. I think oh, we've really... all got something to say on this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's very applicable to us. I mean, we're placing these patients into clinical trials and study sites, and um, you know, oftentimes we have the support of the sponsors or the CROs who are incentivized to try and uh, find these patients, but sometimes it can be a process of educating the clinicians or the sites around, you know, what is health match, how reliable are we, like, are we prioritizing certain trials? So, like, it, it, it is a process, and I think for us what's worked really well is being able to take them through that process and kind of educate them along the way. And then what we've seen is by doing that, um, the clinicians often uh, get quite excited and engaged and then they're like, well, can you send me more patients? Like, So it, it is a process. I think it's just more about um, being able to send them through credible patients, being able to take them through the journey. And that's the stuff that takes time. Melissa, what about you guys? So, I mean, it's, it's, it's challenging. We have, what is it, three or four PhDs on our advisory board. Uh, and some of them are like the best in the world in fatigue and things like that. But I would say we lit a match to a year's worth of funding by listening and going too closely down the clinical path. Because at the end of the day, what are we trying to do is create behaviour change, especially around chronic diseases and things like that. So everything you have to do is, is the user at the centre. So a particular way a question is worded because it is validated and you must use that. For someone that's not with a, not with a medical background can often be like, oh, yes, we must, we must, we must. But you lose people left, right and centre. So after that year, I'm probably a lot more empowered to say what works for the user. Okay, we get it. Now go validate it. You know, you know what I mean? Um, so I just think some clinicians can be a real barrier to change. Um, and I think that's where the entrepreneurial spirit comes in. And you've got to find the ones that will come on the journey but not stop from doing the right thing, like making sure it's evidence-based and bringing the science in in the behaviour change side of things, if that makes sense. 
Oh yeah, clinicians are key to to uptake. I think um, in telehealth, we are fortunate that most clinicians are starting to warm up to the idea of doing doing video consultations uh, because we've been talking about it for such a long time. It's actually finally time for it to happen. Um, they're also starting to see that uh, the side of the patient. You know, it's not about the clinician with telehealth. It's really about making making it easier for the patient. Um, maybe removing some travel that somebody who's already really frail might actually have an accident just traveling to the clinician. You know, mm-hmm. things like that um, are actually starting to make an impact with the with the clinicians as well. Because ultimately, they do care about the quality of care that the patient gets. Uh, and yes, you do absolutely have to get the clinicians on board, and it's a big educational piece. And sometimes you don't have to listen to them. Yes, yeah. uh, because they might, you know, they might actually not be keen, and then they throw up obstacles like, "Oh, have you done all the?" Clin- clinical validation, uh, regulatories, um, you know, there's so many things you can throw um, in, in to stop progress from happening. Uh, sometimes you just got to move despite those things. I think that's it. Thanks, everyone. Um, before we go, uh, we do have as well, Sylvia has got copies of her book, which uh, she will sign. And the way that you can win this is as follows. Be the first person to come and show me your phone that you've subscribed to the Talking Health Tech podcast and show me what the last episode was that got posted. Um, And you can't be one of my staff. (laughs) Great. So you guys can get back to work. Everyone else, go for it. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch. Go check out the website, contribute to the forum, listen to other episodes and get in touch with feedback about the show because collaboration starts with a conversation. Speak to you next time.